Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Tuesday, October 11th, 2022. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, a whole bunch of things, including a major U.S. bank getting into crypto custody, paying for Google Cloud with crypto, Chromebooks from Google made for gaming, the lack of anyone in the current slate of virtual worlds, the return of the cable bundle example number 1000, and did you know your Apple AirTags only last a year? Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. A whole bunch of sort of odds and ends stories today. For example, the state of New York has granted Bank of New York Mellon, or BNY Mellon, which is, by the way, the U.S.'s oldest bank, permission to receive some customers' Bitcoin and ETH. BNY will store the keys, offer bookkeeping services, and more. So for the first time, I guess, a large U.S. bank is getting into the crypto custody business, quoting the journal. The nation's oldest bank said it would begin receiving clients' cryptocurrencies on Tuesday, becoming the first large U.S. bank to safeguard digital assets alongside traditional investments on the same platform. BNY Mellon won the approval of New York's financial regulator earlier this fall to begin receiving select customers' Bitcoin and Ether starting this week. The bank will store the keys required to access and transfer those assets and provide the same bookkeeping services on those digital currencies that it offers to fund managers for their portfolios of stocks, bonds, commodities, and other assets. The move marks an important milestone for traditional banks and their growing acceptance of digital assets as a legitimate market and a source of new business. While many Wall Street executives still question crypto's potential and aim to tread cautiously until Washington clarifies how the market will be regulated, firms have responded to calls from a growing number of large investment firm clients to step into their traditional roles as intermediaries. Money managers have long relied on BNY Mellon and other custody banks for an array of vital, if humdrum, back office functions such as tracking changes to the value of their assets. Founded by Alexander Hamilton more than two centuries ago, BNY Mellon is the world's biggest custody bank. Until now, fund managers would have to custody their digital currencies with a crypto specialist. BNY Mellon said it is the first of the eight systemically important U.S. banks to store digital currencies and allow customers to use one custody platform for both its traditional and crypto holdings, end quote. And Google has partnered with Coinbase to let some customers pay for its cloud services using crypto. It's going to start doing that in 2023. Coinbase will move some data from AWS to Google Cloud as a part of this deal, maybe in the end the more important part. Quoting CNBC, The Google Cloud Platform Infrastructure Service will initially accept cryptocurrency payments from a handful of customers in the Web3 world who want to pay with cryptocurrency thanks to an integration with the Coinbase Commerce Service. The deal, announced at Google's Cloud Next conference, might succeed in luring cutting-edge companies to Google in a fierce, fast-growing market where Google's top competitors do not currently permit clients to pay with digital currencies. The cloud business helps diversify Google parent Alphabet, away from advertising, and it now accounts for 9% of revenue, up from less than 6% three years ago, as it is expanding more quickly than Alphabet as a whole. Over time, Google will allow many more customers to make payments with cryptocurrency, Google says. Coinbase Commerce supports 10 currencies, including Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Dogecoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin. Bitcoin, Dogecoin, and Ethereum prices have all declined over 60% in the past year. Terms of the deal weren't disclosed, 
but like other Coinbase commerce arrangements, Coinbase will earn a percentage of transactions that go through it, the company said, end quote. Meanwhile, Google has updated its Workspace Enterprise Suite, adding integrations with Atlassian, Figma, and other services, releasing new APIs for chat and meet, and much more. Something something, the productivity space is hot right now, quoting The Verge. Google is investing more in its smart canvas concept for Docs, letting users embed information and apps inside a document. It's also releasing some new Meet features with hybrid work in mind, like automatic meeting transcriptions and an AI-powered framing tool for conference room cameras that aims to keep speakers in focus at all times. Google is rolling out new APIs for Meet and Chat that will let developers start meetings or send messages from their apps, but the Workspace team is also beginning to bring more apps into the platform itself, especially in Meet. Figma, Asana, and Atlassian, for instance, joined an early program that lets users work on outside documents within a Meet call. More integrations like that are coming as the company tries to expand the capability of the Docs Canvas and the embedded chips idea. It's looking at ways to bring non-Google tools into your Google tools, end quote. And Google this morning announced Chromebooks for Gaming. There's three of them. First, the $650 16-inch Acer Chromebook 516GE, then the $599 16-inch Lenovo IdeaPad, and the $399 15.6-inch Asus Chromebook Vibe CX55 Flip. Quoting in Gadget. Today, Google, along with a handful of hardware and software partners, is announcing what it calls the world's first laptops built for cloud gaming. First, the Acer Chromebook 516 GE features a 16-inch IPS screen with a 2560 by 1600 resolution and 120Hz refresh rate along with an RBG anti-ghosting keyboard and 12th gen Intel processors up to a Core i7. It's also equipped with a gigabit Ethernet port, two USB-C ports, a USB-A port, and HDMI. Finally, it has DTS audio via two upward-facing speakers and two more downward-facing speakers on the underside of the laptop. Acer will offer a number of configurations, but the first will be at Best Buy this month for $650. It'll include a Core i5 processor, 8 gigabytes of RAM, and 256 gigabytes of storage via its NVMe SSD. Asus is offering is a little different. The Chromebook Vibe CX55 Flip has a 15.6-inch display that maxes out at 1080p, but it's a touchscreen, and it has an even higher 144Hz refresh rate. As the name suggests, the CX55 can flip around into tablet and tent modes like many other Asus Chromebooks. It doesn't have RGB lighting on the keyboard, but it does have a rather distinctive orange trim, including around the crucial WASD keys. It also has 1.4 millimeters of travel. Lenovo's IdeaPad gaming Chromebook has a fair bit in common with Acer's device. It has a 16-inch display with 2560 by 1600 resolution and 120 hertz refresh rate, as well as an RGB anti-ghosting keyboard with 1.5 millimeter of travel. Processors include 12th generation Intel Core i3 or Core i5 options, plus 
8 gigabytes of RAM and up to 512 gigabytes of storage. The base configuration starts with 128 gigabytes. The port selection is a bit more limited. It only offers two USB-C ports, one USB-A port, and a micro SD slot. Like the other two laptops, the IdeaPad Gaming Chromebook will launch this month. It starts at $599. Naturally, software and game access is perhaps just as important as the hardware here. As such, Google has partnered with NVIDIA, Amazon, and Microsoft to ensure its devices work with GeForce Now, Luna, and Xbox Game Pass out of the box. The NVIDIA partnership is probably the most significant, as the company is bringing GeForce Now's high-performance RTX 3080 tier to Chromebooks for the first time. This means games will play at up to 1600p resolution at 120 frames per second, with ray tracing enabled, assuming the game supports these specs, of course. NVIDIA also made a progressive web app so you can launch directly into GeForce Now from your Chromebook's dock or launcher. Microsoft also made a PWA for Game Pass, but everything works the same as running Game Pass on a PC. Assuming you have an Xbox Game Pass Ultimate subscription, you can stream any Game Pass title to your Chromebook. Similarly, an Amazon Luna subscription gives you access to a rotating selection of over 100 games. It's fair to wonder, though, how much traction this latest initiative will get. Chromebooks have found a lot of success in education and, to a lesser extent, enterprise settings, but the idea of a full-fledged push to get people gaming on a Chromebook is a pretty major shift. That said, I'm surprised by the pricing on these models. There aren't a lot of Chromebooks with large, high-resolution screens with high refresh rates. Generally speaking, it sounds like you get a lot of bang for your buck with these models compared to some other premium Chrome OS devices. Naturally, these laptops are a bit bigger and heavier than the standard 13-inch Chromebook, but that's a trade-off that might work for some people, end quote. Yeah, and also, if only Google had its own cloud gaming, cloud streaming service to offer with these things. Oh, they did. It was called Stadia. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. 
Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should, too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee, so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. It's not just Meta's Horizon Worlds that is apparently having trouble attracting interest from normal users. There are other, more pure-play Web3 virtual worlds where folks have built it, but so far at least not many people have come. According to DAP Radar, thus far in its life, the largest number of daily active users on Decentraland was 675 people, and on the Sandbox it was around 4,500 people, which is better, but remember, Decentraland and the Sandbox have market caps of around $1.3 billion, quoting Coindesk. It's important to note that an active user, according to DappRadar, is defined as a unique wallet address's interaction with the platform's smart contract. For example, logging onto the Sandbox or Decentraland to make a purchase with Sand or Mana coin, each platform's respective native utility token is counted as an active use. This means that DappRadar's compilation of daily active users doesn't count people who simply log in and interact with other users on a Metaverse platform or drop in briefly for an event such as a virtual fashion week. It also may mean that fewer transactions like buying or selling non-fungible tokens take place on these platforms than the number of people that visit. Sam Hamilton, creative director at Decentraland, disputed the way DappRadar tracks daily active users on the platform, quote, DappRadar doesn't track our users, only people interacting with our contracts, he told Coindesk, adding that the platform had 8,000 users on an average day, though he did not specify what makes an active use versus a more passive interaction. He noted that while Decentraland saw peak attendees in March, the number of, quote, tourists and spectators has since cooled down. We are finding the core community of people returning every day is growing, he said. According to Hamilton, the number of users on Decentraland can be more accurately observed by looking at a dashboard built by the platform's community. That data measures, quote, unique visitors per day and looks at different periods of time between 7, 14, 30, and 90 days. So from October 3rd through 9th, the platform averaged 6,999 unique visitors per day. The same data tool measures the number of parcels visited per day and marathon users, which it defines as users with the most online time, end quote. Yeah, but someone on Twitter, I couldn't find the tweet, so I can't give them credit, made an interesting point. Usually, private companies can be private about their user numbers because, well, they can. No one knew how quickly or not quickly usage of, say, Airbnb ramped up in its early days because Airbnb didn't have to tell you. But now, these on-chain startups can't really hide their numbers because they're on-chain. Plus, Since Web3 companies are sort of quasi-public, 
i.e. they have publicly traded tokens, there will be pressure to know numbers like these, and if the numbers are poor, that could easily have an impact on the overall project itself. From the blowing up the cable bundle only to reconstruct it file, the journal this past weekend had a piece about how HBO Max, Amazon's Prime Video, and other streamers are trying to grow in a crowded market by doing things like bundling their services together with rivals so you can get all the content you want in just one bill. Quote, Executives at Amazon have considered selling clusters of rival streaming services at a discounted price through the company's Prime Video Channels platform, according to people who have spoken to the company about the idea. Warner Brothers Discovery, which is already combining its HBO Max and Discovery Plus streaming services, has discussed eventually participating in new bundles with rivals, according to people familiar with the situation. Some streaming services are hoping to tack on their services to retail memberships. Paramount Global struck a deal for its Paramount Plus streaming service to be offered as a part of Walmart's $98 a year Walmart Plus membership program. Costco has also engaged in similar discussions with streaming services over the past year, according to people familiar with the talks. Costco declined to comment. It's a classic case of companies finding that when a new business model runs into trouble, they can crib from the old business model. What's emerging isn't anything like the traditional cable bundle. No one in the streaming industry anticipates stitching all of the big services together into a $100 a month package, but there's a growing sense from the companies and consumers that some level of bundling is a good thing, end quote. Finally today, a couple of Apple odds and sods from this weekend. Back in the journal, Joanna Stern outlined how some iPhone 14 users have been reporting that the new crash detection feature in the most recent iPhones has triggered false alarms. Calling 911 during roller coaster rides or after a phone drops while or after you're driving in a car. For example, if you go to Kings Island Amusement Park in Ohio and ride a gnarly roller coaster, well, quote, the Warren County Communication Center provided me with a recording of six iPhone crash detection calls from people at Kings Island Rides, all received since the new iPhone 14 models went on sale in September. Similar alerts have been triggered by the Joker roller coaster at Six Flags Great America near Chicago, end quote. And then, finally, I only got into using AirTags personally this summer when I got tired of the kids constantly losing our Roku TV remote, but I thought that AirTags had been around for a while, and it turns out, no, they haven't. AirTags have only been out for a little over a year. And guess what I learned this morning? Quoting Apple Insider. It's been over a year since AirTags shipped, and if you bought early, your battery is dying. An AirTag battery will last for about a year, and your iPhone will warn you when that battery is low. But if that notification is all you rely on, you can see there might be problems. Maybe you get the low battery warning in the first hours of your two-week ocean cruise, for instance, and then your luggage gets lost coming off the boat at the end of the trip. You can be sure that Apple won't wait until the last moment to give you a low battery notification, but the reason Apple can only give a rough estimate that an AirTag battery will last a year is that it depends on usage, end quote. I did not know that AirTags only lasted a year before you have to replace the battery. The article goes on to explain how to quickly and easily swap out the battery with those sort of small little disc batteries that are common for these sorts of things. But wow, 
an Apple product that not only allows for users to replace the battery, but is in fact designed for that to happen. What will they think of next? So the Meta Connect event is today, but it's later this afternoon, so I'm going to wait until tomorrow to cover the announce of that new VR headset of theirs and whatever else comes out. I might even try to watch the event inside Horizon Worlds, which apparently is a thing you can do. Meanwhile, I woke up to see that the Rewatchables podcast has gotten around to covering the movie Glengarry Glen Ross, maybe my favorite movie of all time, the one that I said on Twitter I'd love if someone would let me on a podcast to talk about. So maybe I'll just have to do it myself. Maybe I'll just have to force Chris to watch it, and then we can do a bonus episode about it. I don't know why, but I feel like a lot of startup folks could relate to that movie. And I have to give it to the Rewatchables guys for a great idea. What if you rebooted Glengarry Glen Ross, but you set it in the Web3 slash crypto world? Would definitely watch that. Talk to you tomorrow.